Tangay is an internationally acclaimed leading Australian garden designer and these are his Garden Rudimentals, a blueprint series on the basics of garden craft. Paul Bangay, hello. Hello. I thought we'd start out this year with a few chats over the weeks um, on inspiration, whether that's people and their work or places you can go to find inspiration for the garden. What do you think of that? I think it's a great idea. Can we begin with you? So Paul Bangay, garden designer, walks into an empty patch of land and let, let's free this from sort of client expectations and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But there's no brief here. You're yeah. alone with your thoughts. Yeah. What happens? Where, where does your mind go? I think the really lucky thing for me is, is I have this sort of, I guess it's a gift. I can walk into a space and almost instantly feel how I want this garden to look. What, it's very hard trips? to articulate how that happens, and I don't yeah. know how that happens, and it often causes conflicts with clients because, you know, they have different thoughts, <laughs> and I go, no, 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 that's not how I saw it the minute I walked onto this property. But I think it's topography. It's right. looking at the topography of the place. Is it flat? If it's flat, we need to add some elevation into it to make it a bit more interesting. If it's rolling, do we terrace it or do we work with the contours we've got? What trees do we have? You know, do we have some significant trees we need to keep or do we need to add some trees? Do we need shade? Do we need verticality in the garden? So there's a whole lot of things that come together that sort of shape how you feel this garden's going to be. But that's such a nice thing because this is what you do. You have an imaginative and a mental vocabulary of what's possible in a space. So, yeah. yes, you can't discount the mystery of creative process in those things. No, and it is a great mystery and it is very hard to articulate. But increasingly, though, I mean, the problem lies where you are doing inner city work or mid-city work and there's nothing. Like there's a bare block because that's what they do. They go in and clear the block, level the block, you might have a paling fence all the way around and a house and that's it. So where does your inspiration come from there? Do Quite tell. <laughs> well, for me, <laughs> it's the architecture. You know, you've got nothing really to look at there. So you, you, your mind's free to, to sort of wander wherever it wants. But I think it's very important it belongs to the house. It belongs to the architecture. And I think the architecture comes first. So it's, it'd be the style of the house, where you exit or enter the house, where you look out from the house, you know, the materiality of the house, how that can come into the garden. If you've got nothing, then the house is all for you. I like the idea of there being something and, and the, the picture forming in your mind. How detailed is that sense? Does it go down to actual plantings? No, no, it probably goes just to, like, style. And spatially, I think probably more is what happens more readily. Is it going to be a big open space? Do we make it really sort of cluttered and intriguing and creating little paths through, like, lots of garden beds? Mm. Or is it a big, wide lawn? That's probably what happens first, um, the style of it, more than the detail. The detail tends to come a lot later. I can see that, you know, the detail tends to come when you sit down with paper and you're sketching away. That's where the detail comes. Okay, you think, all right, style, and that gets down to sort of the skeleton elements of it, the, yeah. the, the fundamental the, shapes, the trees. The architecture of the garden. Right. Yeah. So what are the, what are the big elements in, in that sort of architecture? The layout, so how deep the garden beds are going to be, like proportion. Proportion and scale are very important. Don't underscale your garden beds. Make them nice and deep. You know, so you can get a lot of interest in there. Don't make the terrace spaces too big. You know, so sketching out that architecture, the lay so that's the layout of the beds, 
the layout of the hard surfaces, the level changes, the structure of the garden, like, you know, are we having hedges to divide rooms or is it one big open space? Are we creating different spaces within the garden? Is it big enough to do that? I think they're all the key elements. Mm. And it's very easy probably to break it down and say, well, it's just like the architecture of a house. Walls, you know, what are the walls? Are they hedges? Are they fences? Are they fences covered in creeper? So that's your walls. Floors, what are the floors? Paving, gravel, lawn, garden beds, roof. You know, what is the roof? Do we have lovely pergolas over the top of us that we can sit underneath? Is it lovely shade trees? So you can really articulate it like you articulate a house when you're describing a house. I think that's a lot easier for people to understand when it comes to landscape architecture. And like making a house, of, of course, if you get the house wrong, you can do it again yeah. with a garden. I suspect the mistakes are slower to reveal themselves with a garden. So the thing with a house is it's instant. You there build that house and there it is. Yeah. Um, with a garden, it takes time for that to reveal itself. That's kind of the charm of it. But it is easy to undo things. Like if that plant's in the wrong spot, it's easy to pick it up and move it over. Mm. With a wall, it's not so easy on a house to move it over. <laughs> but it, it is true. I mean, I, you know, I work very closely with architects and with interior designers. And they walk out the day they're finished and that's it. Job done. We're there for a long time because the plants, you know, take a long time to grow. The plant part of it is, is really interesting because it is only with experience and, and depth of knowledge that you know not only what plant might work here, but what it's going to do in this space over time. Yeah, and that's really important. I think um, a lot of people uh, don't consider what that plant is going to be like in 20 years' time. Is that tree going to be too big? Are the root systems too aggressive? Will that plant shade the plant next door? Like, have we created a garden in full sun and all of a sudden a part of the garden is going to be in shade mm. and we have then have to change all the planting around it? Plant knowledge is a very hard thing because there's so many plants in the world. <laughs> all garden designers are always learning. The most exciting thing for me is my plant porn when it arrives. You know, plant catalogues, <laughs> bulb catalogues, <laughs> new garden books, all those sort of things are, are so exciting for me. As you say, it is an infinite field almost. Yeah. And in so many different styles of plants and, and, and pl plants from different regions and all of that. And you can see why designers gravitate to things that they're very familiar with and they know yeah. the job they do. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you do find that if you look at designers, they all have signature styles and that usually will contain signature planting styles as well. So a lot of plants that they love and they will use over and over and over and over again. But for novices, it's much easier because you're static, you're in one place. So your climatic conditions don't really change. But for us garden designers, we're working all over the, you know, either Australia or over the state or around the world. You're constantly working in different climatic zones, which complicates things even more. It's a slight digression, but I imagine that, yeah, if you, you fetch up somewhere totally different part of the world, you, there's research required to sort yeah. of say, how does, how does this place behave? What happens here? That's right. And the first thing I do is go to a nursery because the plants they're selling in that nursery are usually specific for that climatic mm. condition. And also botanic gardens. They're a great resource for us. Yes. So for the non-designer who might be standing in an open space and they're, they're trying to conceptualise, trying to get this thing in their head, I mean, we're going to talk about some of these things, aren't we, in coming mm. weeks of, of looking in books, looking mm. at the work of other people. Mm -hmm. But where's the starting point in this? Well, I think that's probably the starting point for someone who's not used to this is how you're going to use the garden. I think that's probably the most important. What are you going to do there? Most important question you can ask yourself is, is it for me to explore horticulture and gardening or is it for my kids to run around on a big lawn or is my priority to sit on a big terrace and have a barbecue and, you know, outdoor television and enjoy it that way? So how you're going to use it will dictate 
how it's done spatially. There's a secondary question to that too, is how much time and effort am I prepared to put into it? Well, that's right. And people are increasingly not wanting to put much time into their gardens. It's sad. I mean, when I first started off, everyone loved gardening and everyone was happy to get out on, on weekends and garden. Now, they're all too busy. You know, they've got kids that are doing lots of things and sports and activities and lots of social engagements. And not many people have time for their gardens anymore. I guess that same thing applies when comes the time to start thinking about plants and plantings, that what you just said about a different place, nurseries, botanic gardens, see what's growing in this part of the world. Yeah, and get catalogues. You know, you can always ring up and get your bulb catalogues, your plant catalogues, your seed catalogues and see what, you know, they'll be specific to your area and just peruse through those. When you sit down and, and start to draw, because that's part of this process. Yes, yeah. And that's what I'd like to try and teach people, is you, drawing is everything. Because I don't think anyone can just go to a garden and look at it and go, well, I want to do that over there, I want to do this there, and that needs to be that big. I think everyone should attempt and become friendly with a scale ruler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have the actual size of your garden and scale it down with a ruler and be able to draw it up properly is really the best starting point you can do for designing your own garden. When you're doing that drawing and, yeah. and you plonk a plant down in it, yeah. Is that plant as you draw it there and, and the space that it occupies, is that the mature thing? Is it a thing along the way? You've got to consider how many of those plants do I need and that, that's done on the basis of its mature size, usually, yes. And I don't want to take the romance out of this, but now we work with CAD, which is a computer, you know, <laughs> assisted drawings, and the computer tells us all those things. Don't try this at home. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, my, my favourite thing at the moment is a plant identification app for my phone, which is infallible and brilliant. And quite often people will say, let's try it, and they try it, and I know what the plant is, and they're pretty but accurate. I, I, I mentioned that because for, for someone looking about, as soon as you start to think about that, about a garden space, your eye starts to look around and look at other people's yes. gardens. Yes. Can I identify this plant? Yeah. I like the look of that. What is yeah. it? <laughs> that's right, and I think that's important. I think that's always good. That's why I say, go to the botanic garden and see what you like. Mm. And if you t take your phone, and you've got that app, it'll tell you exactly what it is. A lot of the botanic gardens have their plants labelled, which is even even handier. So here we are, you're, you've begun to draw, you're sketching it out. Is it down to the plant, the drawing that you will eventually do? So, it, I mean, we, we really work in different stages. There's really distinct stages to this whole thing. It starts with a survey first, so that's the most important thing is getting a survey. For us as professionals, we get professional surveyors out and they give us a survey, which will give us the boundaries, the position of the house... Um, any trees, the topography, you know, the contours. And then what we do is generate something called a base plan. So that's a simplified version of that with the boundaries and the house and the doors and the windows to the house. And that's where I can freehand sketch madly and do a very conceptual drawing of how I think that the garden should okay. look. And that's called the concept stage. And that concept stage can go for quite a while. It can bounce backwards and forwards with clients. You know, we can show them. It's very conceptual, so it's easy to change along that way. And that will be, you know, the client will go, well, actually, that terrace doesn't look big enough because we want to do X, Y, and Z on it. And you can make it bigger or we need a bigger lawn or we need deeper garden beds or... It's interesting you, you mentioned when, when you're referring the garden to the house that you are taking heed of the windows, the doors. Oh. The most important things. I mean, they really are the most important things. Sight lines from houses are extraordinarily important. Like, you know, we spend 90% of our time inside looking out to the garden and 10% of the time maybe out in the garden. So it's very important how you look at the garden from inside the house. And then the flow, like what doors are going to go out there? How are you going to get from the kitchen to your dining terrace? And that dictates where the terrace needs to be. So conceptual 
plan, the, the drawings everybody loves. Mass sign off on that. What do you do next? <laughs> then we layer on top. So the next layer would be the planting plan. So you've got your size, your garden beds. And then I go through and sort of actually hand draw on clumps probably more than actual plants. You know, maybe a big clump of celery, which might be five or six plants. And then a clump of corias or a clump of astringia behind that. So it's an effect rather than... Yeah, it's like, mm. a, it's like a circle. Then that's given back to the people who operate the computers, which is not me. That size will tell them how many plants need to go right. in there. Okay. That process of thinking about the plants is probably the most difficult part of the whole design because you need to think you're, you're sitting on, on a bit of paper in a studio. You're not actually sitting out in the garden, so you've got to think where the sun's going to move. Is that garden bear going to be an afternoon shade or morning sun? You need to think about all these things. After that, the details then, like selecting paving. What's the right type of paving? What's the right colour? What's the right texture? Do we have a lot of hard surfaces? Do we have gravel, for instance? I mean, and the complexity with all this sort of thing is councils as well, like permission is always playing in the back of your head because councils will dictate how much permeable surface you need on a block of land. So they will tell you you've got too much hard surface, you need to put more permeable surfaces in. So you can't have too much paving because the rain won't soak into the soil. So details, steps, what size are the steps? the broadness of the steps, are you going to put greenery in the steps, you know, details of pergolas, pavilions, all those sort of things, you know, happen in that sort of later stage of the, of the design process. When I started, the level of detail required was not much. Mm. Now it's really what's, what's, highly detailed. What's changed in that? I think uh, people have become more litigious and builders are too scared just to like listen to a designer and just sort of go by what they're talking about. They need it drawn down to the actual okay. detail. Yeah. If something goes wrong, they need to blame someone. We need paperwork here. Yes, exactly. Yes. But then the glorious thing at the end of the day, despite all that abundant detail and, and no matter how meticulous you are, that they're plants. Yeah. They have little minds of their own. Yeah, they <laughs> it do. May, it may not be as you imagined. <laughs> And then what happens is the, a semi-trailer load of plants will arrive on site and someone's actually got to take those plants and put them where they are shown on the plan, mm. which is quite often me. Well, I think there'd be good reason for that because <laughs> that's quite a particular thing. Well, I think that you can show them on a plan and you think you've probably got it right, but when you're actually on site and you're actually placing the plants, you can sort of massage it a little bit more. Mm. And I think when you're actually there, you have a greater knowledge an insight as to how they're going to grow and how they're going to get on with their neighbour next door. Do you ever go back and check them out? All the time. We have to. I mean, we're constantly going back to gardens and changing things. Like, you make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Or a plant might fail or might not do well, so we're always changing things, always. I mean, I listened to one designer who was talking about the herbaceous borders and saying how every year they're constantly changing these bloody herbaceous borders. They never get it right. And we are here too. You're always thinking, maybe that one would look better over there or maybe there's a better one to go in there. And herbaceous border is such a great example of creating that beautiful untidiness with great method. It is. It's, it's, it's quite hard to do because it's almost like painting a painting because you've got colour to think about and how that colour is going to get on with the, with the other plants, the other colour schemes in the, in, in the garden bed, but also heights, dryness versus wetness and shade versus light. Mm. So all those things need to come together when you're designing a herbaceous border. Well, despite all those complexities and technicalities, people ought not be deterred by it. No. And I keep saying a garden is always an experiment. Like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's how we learn in the garden. Now, one of the things you wanted to do this year was conclude our little chats oh, yes. with 
a, a bon mot. Well, someone gave me this wonderful book says, The Gardener Says, Quotes, Quips and Words of Wisdom. I thought it was so wonderful. Well, let's have one. So I think for today, it's going to be, I want death to find me planting my cabbages. And I, <laughs> my greatest joy is the vegetable garden. And if I've Killed over and died in the vegetable garden. I'd be very happy. I don't know how happy Barry would be. I'd be very happy. <laughs> Paul Bangay, dead amongst the cabbages, but very happy man. Thank you. Next time we will chat. Uh, we will talk inspiration. We will talk inspiration on the road, gardens to visit, to fuel your <laughs> your growing fantasies. Paul, thank you. Pleasure. ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.